Hey guys, your host, Avery Carl with The Short-Term Shop here. Welcome to our 10 episode deep dive on the Sarasota and Bradenton area, which includes all those fun barrier islands like Anna Maria Island, Siesta Key, really the West Coast of Florida. And if you guys are ready to start buying in this market, email us at agents at theshorttermshop.com and we will connect you with our expert agents in this market. I also wanted to let you know that we have some supplemental materials for you guys available on our website. It's theshorttermshop.com where you can go and you can set up a search and look at properties, see what the purchase prices are in this market currently. And you can save your search so that when a property that hits the market in your price range comes out, we can email you and then you'll know right away. We've also got the AirDNA data, thanks to our friends over at AirDNA, for this market for the past few years to help you gauge what a property should be able to do. We've got a pretty cool calculator on the website also to help you tie everything together. So lots of stuff to help you along your way while you're listening to this podcast or and or if you just want to hang out with us more that's pretty cool because we want to hang out with you too and there's one good place you can do that it is our facebook group same title as my book it's called short-term rental long-term wealth it's just us and 60,000 of our closest friends hanging out talking about short-term rentals sharing best practices and all that stuff so you can join that or if you guys really just want to talk to us directly if you have questions about short-term rentals we have an open office hours call every Thursday, and you can sign up for that at strquestions.com. Now let's get to the episode. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Short-Term Show special episode series on the Sarasota Bradenton market. We have the wonderful Christina and John as usual, but today we also have Scott, a home inspector in that market. Scott, you want to introduce yourself really quick? Uh, my name's Scott. I'm with 82 West Home Inspections, and we've been inspecting areas and in, our homes in this area for the past 17 years. My father's been doing a little bit longer, which is where I got my start from him. And uh, we set up our business just to go out and basically help the realtors as much as we possibly can by taking up as much of the extra slack as we uh, we can find. Awesome. So we will have a lot of questions for you about halfway through the show. But first, so we're talking about the contract process today. So I think a lot of investors, they learn all they can about the actual investment. But then when they get into the contract, they're like, wait a minute, what's this? What's that? What do you mean a loan commitment date? So we're here to kind of set the record straight on a lot of this stuff and prepare you and set the expectation for you of what the process looks like when you're buying a home in the state of Florida. So typically we're using Florida real estate contracts. Um, before we get into that, guys, do they have, I know there's there's two types of contracts in Florida for residential. There's the crisp, which I think is the older version and then the far bar, they call it. Is there a specific one that you guys typically use in that market? We always use the, the as-is contract um, because the as-is contract basically says that you're, you're willing to purchase the home as it currently stands but you have the right to inspect it. And during that inspection period, you have the right to walk away for any reason at all. Yeah, that's the far bar that's the as is, right? Far bar as is, yeah. Okay, so we are definitely going to come back to that in just a second uh, once we get through a couple other terms. But that's something that's specific to Florida is that most of the contract writing is on a contract that's as is. But First, so let's get to the other terms that you'll be using when you write a contract. So cash versus financing and what what is most attractive to a seller. So why would somebody 
buy something cash versus get a loan on it and, and use a financing uh, contingency? It, it depends on you know the the specific investors' investment goals. Um, you know, sometimes they want to take that cash and park it in a place and get a steady return on it. Other times they want to you know maximize their leverage and buy you know as many properties as possible. Um, and as long as they cash flow, they're okay with that. Um, from a seller's perspective, a cash offer is more attractive because there's less possibility of that contract um, falling out due to financing. Gotcha. So a seller would find that a, a cash offer more attractive because there's not all these little speed bumps you can hit in terms of underwriting and getting the loan approved and all that. It's just much more likely to close typically. That's correct. Um, you don't have to worry about appraisals. You don't have to worry about, you know, um, did the buyer go out and buy a new car during the, the process? And now, you know, his debt to income ratio is too high. Um, there's a lot of things that could come up, um, you know, during the loan approval process. And with a cash offer, you don't have to worry about any of those. Gotcha. But that being said, the vast majority of, <laughs> contracts being sent over uh, or contract or offers being made are going to be financed. So I don't want to set the expectation that people like have to buy with cash because most properties are going to be financed, right? That is correct. Right. So in most cases, you don't have to offer cash unless it's a really competitive property and there's a lot of a uh, lot of offers on it, or if there's some reason that it can't be conventionally financed. So in most cases, you won't have to do that. But if you can, if it's really if it's a competitive property with multiple offers, that will usually, um, barring a few other terms, win the deal for you. Um, okay, let's talk about earnest money. What is the typical earnest money amount? In this market or a finance deal typical earnest money is about two and a half percent of purchase price okay and earnest money is refundable under the contracts of, i mean under the contingencies of the contract right yes under the contingencies yes so during under the inspection contingency under the financing contingency yes gotcha there are some states where it's not refundable you're just like here you go there it is buy, buy goodbye earnest money but in florida it is refundable. So what is the typical amount of time you have to send in your earnest money for a contract? The standard is three days. Three days. Three business days or three calendar days? Three calendar days. All right. So typically, if, you, if you're going to get under contract on a place in Florida, you're looking at about two and a half percent earnest money and you got three days to get that into the title company or whoever's holding it. Sometimes it'll be one of the brokerages holding it. Um, so let's talk about the as is contract. So it, it's kind of funny. It's kind of, it, it's very quirky how this works because you're using the as is contract, like up here in the panhandle, we all, we use the as is contract too. If you don't use it, then the listing agent's going to say, uh, can you please resend this on the far bar as is, even though the contract is technically as is we still negotiate during the inspection period if we find things wrong with the property, right? Absolutely. That's our time to negotiate. And most of the time, you know, sellers don't typically say, oh, well, we use the as-is contract, so we're not going to even look at your negotiations at all. Like, just screw off and this is is what it is, right? And not in most cases. Yeah, that, that that's correct. I mean, that, that's, again, that's the time to negotiate the sellers and the seller's agent you know, I don't want to say expect, but depending on, you know, how competitive the market is, how many offers they have, you know, that there's a very likely chance that the buyers will come back and at least ask for some things to be repaired. So this is definitely something that's really, really specific to Florida and kind of weird that you're using the as-is contract, but we're still negotiating and the sellers still expect to negotiate during the inspection period. So 
keep that in mind, guys, if you're buying in Florida, that's just kind of the way that it is. But you even if even if it wasn't an as is contract, a seller can still say, I'm not going to negotiate with you, whether the contract says as is or not, they don't have to do anything. So it's not anything to be terribly afraid of. You can get under contract in any state with any type of contract and a seller say, oh, no, I'm not going to come off my price or I'm not going to do anything for you. So it's nothing to be terribly worried about. Um, so, But let's take a minute and talk about if we are offering specifically, if we say this is as is, we are not going to ask you for anything versus offering without an inspection contingency. So what are the difference between those two things? Because I think people get really confused about the difference between those. So with an inspection contingency, um, you have, again, the right to walk away and get your earnest money back during that inspection period for any reason or no reason. Um, you really don't have to give a reason, but if you say you don't like the color of the door, you know, you could walk away um, as long as you're within that inspection period and get all of your earnest money back. If you have no inspection contingency, then you have no right to walk away and your earnest money is on the line from day one or from the day you first put it in. So as is means we still have our inspection contingency and we can still walk away from the contract. If we do the inspection, there's things we don't like and get our earnest money back. But removing the contingency altogether, which is different than just saying as is, that's saying we're not doing it, we're taking it, we don't know what might be wrong with it, but we think it's probably okay. So we're even if we do an inspection, and decide we don't want it, the seller is keeping the earnest money. Right. Typically, yeah. And typically we don't we don't see people having to do that unless it, you know, we saw that a lot in 2021 when there were multiple offers on everything. But in a normal market, or especially right now, you don't really ever have to do that. And I don't recommend doing that, period, unless you're a very, very seasoned investor in the current market that you're or in the market that you're that you're buying in. Uh, and even then it, it makes me nervous. So I, I would go as is, but not but not removing the contingency altogether if I want to be competitive. Um. So, what is the typical earnest or sorry, earnest me? What's the typical due diligence uh, timeline? So, how long do we have to do these inspections and and decide what we want to ask for? Typical inspection period these days is about ten days. Um, if you want to be a little bit more competitive, you could reduce that to say seven. Um, but you know, in this market, 10-day inspection period is very common and to be expected. 10 days. Okay. And so do we have 10 days to get our list together and send it over? And we can send over our list on the 10th day? Or do we need to be sending over that list sooner than that? And all negotiations have to be finished by the 10th day. Once that 10th day expires, then the inspection period is over. So everything needs to be negotiated and the inspections need to be done. The negotiations need to be completed and an addendum needs to be signed if there are going to be any changes prior to the expiration of that 10th day, or else you'll need to have that inspection period extended uh, to still be covered under that contingency. Okay. So all inspections need to be done and we need to have come to an agreement with the seller by that 10th day. Correct. Gotcha. And in this market or this state, I guess, is the, the inspection contingency or the due diligence contingency does it have to be a material defect of the house that we can pull out for, or can it be something else related to due diligence, like maybe an HOA thing, or we realize it wasn't zoned right, or something like that? During during the inspection contingency um, time frame, you can pull out for any reason at all. Okay. Uh, 
It can be material, immaterial. Again, it can be because you don't like the color of the front door. It, it doesn't matter. You can walk away for any reason. Good to know. That's very important to know because in some markets, like in Tennessee, it has to be something to do with the actual house. So I know we have a lot of listeners who buy in Tennessee and then they want to buy something in Florida and just understand that, the, that they're a little bit different state by state on what you can terminate a contract for. All right. So now let's hear a little bit from Scott since we're on the topic of inspections. So Scott, what is typically covered in a home inspection? What what all's looked at? What's not looked at? What are some things that people need to know about getting a home inspection in this market? All right. So home inspection in this market, it is a non-invasive, limited visibility, blah, 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 whatever else they teach you during your course. Basically, what that means is we come in, we look at every aspect of the house that we can visibly see. We're not allowed to take any walls apart. We're not allowed to move any furniture, but we look at your roof. We're looking at your outside of your house, as much of the foundation as we can, plumbing, air conditioning, everything that is uh, visible to us at that time. Um, we have a good process. We go around. We're able to look for signs of some of the hidden things that we wouldn't be able to see using uh, thermal imaging cameras. We're looking for moisture, different types of insulation, make sure that the house is nice and uh, uh, sealed up no water able to make it in and none of the cold air in the summertime able to make its way out. So you're not opening up walls or anything like that, opening pipes, nothing. That's correct. So we are limited to what we can visually see while we do the inspection. Now, one of the things that we've done over the years to help aid that process of seeing things that we can't is we have partnerships all around town. So one of the best things to talk to your home inspector about when you're setting that up is if you want to have your pipes looked at, is that something the home inspector themselves offer? Or is that something that um, they have a contact like I do? I have a company that I work closely with. So there's ways to get deeper in to look, but your typical home inspection is just going to cover the things that are visible to the uh, to the naked eye. I think that's really important to note because I think a lot of times people expect if you find something that suggests maybe there's something in the walls that isn't right, maybe electrical, that you can't open the walls and look at those things. That's correct. And we do have some uh, equipment, like I was speaking of earlier, uh, that every home inspector would have that'll help show you some hidden things. But yes, we can't see everything. So what types of ancillary inspections do people typically need to get? Like, do you guys do pest inspection or do they need a separate pest inspector for that? So pest inspections, we work with a company, Good News Pest Control in Sarasota, and they are there the exact same time as us. So that's our agreement with them. When you call us, we have them there the same time. And in the state of Florida, it's not so much if you're going to get termites, it's when. Everyone's going to get them, and it's just a matter of staying on top of it so you find them fast enough so that you don't have any problems in the future, uh, any you know big structural issues. Uh, but as far as the other ancillary inspections that come along, the big two that go along with almost every inspection is on every home that's older than 20 years, you have to have a four-point inspection in order to get insurance, which covers the roof, the plumbing, the electrical, and the air conditioning. And then most insurance companies want to see a wind mitigation, which is the inspection to see how your hand, your uh, house will withstand hurricane uh, force winds and rain and everything else. Um, most of the time, in order to bind insurance, they need to have those two documents with them. And you guys do those, or you might need to call yes, somebody. Yes, we do. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, and no. I think back to what we were speaking about earlier with the negotiating power. The four point is really the one for me that I see the most negotiation power coming from. Um, in the state of Florida, you can walk for anything, as John was saying. But when you have an issue on a four point, let's say there's a double tap or cloth wiring inside of the electric panel, or there's a leak in the roof. These are things that you will not be able to get insurance unless you get these items fixed. And that means if we back out, the next people come in with a brand new inspector, he's going to find it. It's going to be a recurring issue. 
We're not saying we don't like the layout of the house or the color of the front door. We're saying that there is an actual issue here where nobody going forward is going to be able to insure this home until the items on this four point are cleaned up. I think that's where the negotiation power comes from. Yeah, I think that's really important because that that insurance price really will affect you know what the monthly expenses look like for a property. And we have an entire other episode on those expenses. But I think you're right. That four point is very, very important when it comes to being able to take this back to a seller and say, hey, as an investment, we need it to be a little bit lower because this, you know, this roof is a little too old, or maybe they'll we can get them to replace the roof or something like that. So I think that's really, exactly. really important. Let's talk about common things that are found on inspection. So I think a lot of new investors think that there is such a thing as a clean inspection report where there's just one page that says, hey, we didn't find anything weird. Here you go. But no, it's always going to be several pages long. There's going to be a lot of little things. Some of them are going to be serious. Some of them won't. But what's the, what are the typical things that you see on most home inspections in this market? So I think I've had two clean home inspection reports in about 17 years. So just to <laughs> show you how rare that is. But um, the common things that we find are you know, moisture. We live in a wet state. And I think people don't take enough time, especially pre-storm, to go around the outside of their house and to look at any kind of openings or, you know, caulking around windows, random areas where water can be making its way in. It doesn't rain from top to bottom here. It rains sideways and everywhere else when we get a storm. Um, so moisture is, is one of the big things that we we find here. And then um, some roof damage, depending on how close to um, the coast you are with the, with the winds coming in during the storms. And then pretty much every report that we have, you go through the house and there's just minor maintenance things. And that's the important thing when you're getting a home inspection is to be able to um, not scare yourself off by the report. A lot of the things you'll find in there are going to be minor style maintenance that pop up in most houses, you know, some door locks that aren't working, some windows that need to be adjusted. Um, it's important when you're reading through the reports to kind of look through and, you know, with a level head and pick out the important things that are coming out and not get scared away by everything else. Yeah, I I remember uh what was it? Last year we had a listing and it was 12 bedrooms like 8,000 square feet and it was brand new construction under warranty so you know everything on the inspection yeah. report the builder is going to fix but the buyer who's not our client by the way. Uh the buyer decided that the house the the, the market did kind of change a little bit over the course of time when they got under contract versus when they closed. It was about an eight month period and they decided they didn't want to pay what they were under contract for. And they wanted something crazy, like $400,000. And so they sent us the inspection report and they were like, I mean, this inspection report is 27 pages long. I think that says a lot about what all is wrong with this house. And I'm like, it's an 8,000 square foot house with 12 bedrooms and 12 bathrooms. Like, of course it's 27 pages long. There's that many things to inspect. (laughs) So, um, you know, I think it's, you said not to scare yourself off. So I think it's really, really, really important that as an investor, when you get your inspection report back, that you call your inspector and ask them about the things you have questions on, because that's what they're there for. I think a lot of people say, okay, here's the inspection report. Oh my God. And they like drop it. Like it's a hot potato. Like I, I can't buy this house because there's things on this inspection. But if you call the inspector and talk to them about, Hey, is this normal? Is that normal? Uh, do you, and just really get a gauge for what's typical in the market. I think that you, you, I think everybody forgets to do that. Yeah. And I think um, that's one of the hardest parts about what we do is we're always, you know, they're delivering the bad news. So I'm always standing there trying to, you know, keep everyone upbeat and happy and Hey, listen, we've got some doors and everything else, but the bones of it are good. And that's really what the home inspection process should be. We want to know everything that's wrong with the house, but call your inspector, just like you just said, 
And let's talk about the bones. Let's talk about what on that inspection report should be standing out to you and what the important things are. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you, Scott, for that segment on what is covered in an inspection. We're going to hit a few other of the contingencies and things, and we're going to come back to the final inspection. So we'll hit you back in just a minute. All right, John and Christina. So we've made it through our inspection. We've done our negotiations. We've got a few few concessions and we're moving on. So the next big milestone, and sometimes it flip-flops depending on when the appraisal comes in, is the loan commitment date. That's something that is not a, a thing in other states. So what's a loan commitment date and how does it affect the contract? Loan commitment date is usually a, a date that's a few days prior to closing that says um, all of the financing contingencies have been cleared, the appraisals came back good, and the bank has basically given the buyer uh, clear to close saying that you know they're they're willing to fund the deal. What if we don't have that by the loan commitment date? If you allow that date to pass without loan commitment, you're basically waiving the loan contingency. Um, so basically, if you just allow that date to pass without getting your loan commitment, if you were to be denied the loan after that loan commitment date, your escrow money would be at risk. So it's it's very important to to stay on top of that and to know when that date is. I think where it gets real hairy for people on this is when the appraisal comes in after that loan commitment date. And if the appraisal's low and the seller says, well, you know, your loan commitment date's passed and I'm not going to go down any further, then what happens? Well, you can walk away, lose your escrow deposit. You could say, pretty, pretty, please. We really want to buy this house. Will you work with us? Um, you know, if if you allow that loan commitment date to expire, um, you really have no leverage to to negotiate with. So you're you're kind of back into a corner at that point. Um, yeah. So it's very very important that you're paying attention to when that date is because that's not a date that's on a lot of uh, a lot of states' contracts. So make sure that if for some reason your appraisal has not come in before that date, that we're getting extensions because uh, you don't want to get in a position where. The house doesn't appraise, but the loan commitment date has passed, which is essentially you waiving your financing contingency, which means you either lose your earnest money or you have to just pay cash on top of what the appraisal was to get to contract value. So very, very important date. And let's talk about, so basically if your loan gets denied up until this point, you get your earnest money back. But if you let that date pass and then your loan gets denied, you're out your earnest money. That is correct. Gotcha. So let's talk about the appraisal itself for a minute. So if a property appraises low, what are my options? Um, your first option is you could accept that appraisal and pay the difference out of pocket. That's never anything that we recommend as far as a first step, but that is an option. Normal first step is we go back to the sellers uh, through the seller's agent and explain the situation. Um, we normally have to provide them with a copy of the appraisal. They will review it um, and speak with their client and they'll either be willing to negotiate with us by potentially lowering the price. Sometimes they come back and have questions about the appraisal that we have to go back through the lender to the appraisal management company on. So sometimes if the appraisal is reasonable, um, again, you know, you could start the negotiation process with asking them to reduce the price based on the appraisal. Um, but if the, the appraisal comes back a little bit questionable, which sometimes it does, Sometimes the sellers will you know, ask some questions or ask for some things to be clarified within the appraisal. Gotcha. 
So if an appraisal comes in low, there are some steps you can take to try and you can't contest it, but there are some things you can do to try and see if, you know, maybe they miss this one comp. It's called a reconsideration of value. And that would have to come from you as the buyer, guys. Your agent can't do that because it's your loan and the bank wants to hear from you if you don't think that that appraisal is correct. Uh, I've rarely do appraisers say, oh, you know what? You're right. I totally screwed this up and missed that comp. Most of the time, it's going to stay where it is. They might give you a few thousand dollar bump. But if it's if it's way off, I wouldn't expect much to come of that. So then you have three options. You can walk away from the deal. You can ask the seller to, come, well, actually, I guess you have four. You can walk away from the deal and get your earnest money back. You can ask the seller to come down to the appraised value, which we see a lot more sellers willing to do nowadays that the market slowed down. You can meet somewhere in the middle. Like maybe the seller doesn't want to come all the way down to the appraised value. Maybe they'll come halfway down and they want you to meet them in the middle with cash. Um, or what was my fourth one? Uh, or you can pay the whole you difference. Pay the, yeah, you could pay the whole thing in cash, which we don't really see that much anymore. That was happening a lot in 2021, 2022, where there were just so many offers on everything that you pretty much had to uh, remove that appraisal contingency and say, whatever it appraises at, I'm going to pay in cash the difference between the appraisal value and the contract price. But typically nowadays, we we see more sellers being willing to come down to appraised value or at least meeting you in the middle somewhere. So you don't have to just um, terminate the deal. But typically, if unless there's something written differently in the contract, you will get your earnest money back if it doesn't appraise and you choose not to move forward with it. Anything else on appraisals? I think... I think that pretty much covers it. Um, I don't think so. The only thing I'd say is, you know, the appraisal is just an opinion of value. It's just the appraiser's opinion. Um, you may or may not agree with it, but again, it's hard to contest an opinion, which is why you see very few uh, adjustments um, beyond just a few dollars. Well, one thing you reminded me, one thing you can do if you think you just really got a wacky appraisal and they did not use good comps at all. If, if there's something like glaring and they won't change it, the only way to get a new appraisal with a new appraiser is to start fresh with a new lender. And sometimes sellers will be willing to work with you on this and extend the contract to allow for that to happen because they want to get more money. So if they're stuck with this lower value, uh, a lot of times, if it's not, again, a, a property that has a ton of offers or a crazy market, they'll extend a few weeks to give you the opportunity to potentially get a different and or higher appraisal. But you can't just go with the same bank and say, hey, I don't like this appraisal, get me a new one. That's not how it works, unfortunately. Sure. And we, we do see that, you know, we, we just dealt with one of those last week. Well, moving on. So let's say we've made it past our loan commitment date, made it past our appraisal, hit all of our deadlines, and now it's time to close. So there's one more thing that needs to be done, and that is the final walkthrough sometimes called the final inspection. And what that is, is it's not an opportunity to renegotiate the contract. All it is, is an opportunity for you to walk through the property and make sure it's in the same or better condition than it was when you got under contract and got your inspection done. Or if there were repairs done by the seller, it's an opportunity to make sure those were done correctly. Scott, do you guys do uh, final walkthroughs for clients? So yes, we do. And we do, there's two sides of it. Um, we do the final walkthrough on pre-existing homes and we also do final walkthroughs on new construction homes. Um, 
they both kind of fall in the same category because for each of them, we're finding things that they want to make sure have been repaired. Um, but I just wanted to put it out there. That a lot of the stuff we do is also for new construction. And just because it's new construction does not mean that there won't be a lot of things on the inspection. Just like existing construction is going to have some things because of wear and tear. Exactly. New, yeah. New construction is going to have some things because it's never been used before. So there might be a leak in something that hasn't had water run through it before. So they don't know that there's a leak until they start living in the house and running the water. So um, just keep that in mind. New construction doesn't mean nothing on the inspection. Uh, but there are two people who can do your final walkthrough for you. And that is you, yourself, or your home inspector. And your your agent cannot do your final walkthrough for you. And I've had so many clients say, well, my agent in such and such state did it for me. Well, your agent in that state put themselves at an extreme liability because in a lot of states, agents are not allowed to do final walkthroughs because they are not licensed home inspectors. They're not licensed contractors. So there's not really anything they can call out that would be inside of their scope. So if, if for example, there's some type of damage of something, all they can say is, oh, hey, you know, there's a, a scratch on this wall or like there's that they can't tell you what's wrong with a property. They can just walk through it. So it really needs to be you personally. That's number one. Like if you can do it, you need to be there. But the only other person who can do a final walkthrough for you is your home inspector. So one thing I urge people to is um, with new construction, the builders always offer that they have their own inspectors that go through and look and they try and ensure assure everybody that they're going to send their own guy out to make sure that everything was done. And I always urge people away from that. Get a third-party inspector that's not tied to the property, doesn't specifically work for the builder, that's going to go in there and give you an honest inspection. Yeah, always get outside inspections. Even if you're um, if you're still at your... Always have an inspection done on new construction, not just a final walkthrough. Because you, yeah. you a lot of people don't realize you can do that. You don't have to just do a punch list with the builder. You can have an outside inspector come in and make sure right. everything's working how it needs to. And you absolutely should. Mm -hmm well worth the expense. And it's well worth the expense of having your inspector do your final walkthrough too. I've had clients be like, you mean you're telling me that I you can't just go video it for me that I've got to pay my inspector another hundred bucks? Yes, that hundred bucks is well worth it. I've had a situation where when I was new, I did a final walkthrough for a buyer and I videoed and I missed, I didn't realize there was some squishy floor next to one of the toilets. Yeah. Whereas if they'd had their inspector come through, they might have been able to find that uh, where I didn't. So that that was actually the instance that where it was a turning point in my career where I a realized I wasn't supposed to be doing that and B said, I'm never going to do this again because I wouldn't have known, you know, I wear motorcycle boots everywhere. So I'm probably not going to notice if the floor is squishy anyway. Uh, or in that particular instance, you would have had to sit on the toilet and like used it to realize that there was squishy floor. So always have the professional who is licensed in the thing you need them to do, do those things. Uh, okay. A couple more things on closing. So in Florida, when do we get keys? Do we get keys at signing of the closing documents or at funding into the seller's account? Usually the two kind of happen concurrent with one another, basically at the same time. So, um, you know, once the deal is funded, uh, that's when you get the keys. Gotcha. So if you're closing at four o'clock on a Friday, it's entirely possible that it might not fund same day, which means you might not have access to the house all weekend. So you want to make sure if you are coming into town to do closing and do your walkthrough that you're either A, not closing on a Friday, 
or and making sure that you're closing early enough in the day to not end up in that situation. I've seen it happen a number of times and it's not fun. Nobody likes that. <laughs> uh, so make sure that you're choosing a time of day and a day of the week to close that's not going to put you in that situation. Because I've seen people show up with a, a moving van full of furniture and not be able to get into their house for three days. Um, oh, and last thing, you want to have your agent make sure that there are no bookings that overlap closing if it's an existing short-term rental. I've seen that go sideways a number of times. Um, always, I would include that in your final walkthrough checklist to make sure that, oh, hey, we didn't forget that the previous owner or previous manager has a booking across closing. You'd be surprised how often that that gets missed or doesn't get relayed to the buyer side. So make sure that's on your list. All right. Well, guys, I think that pretty much covers it for the contract process. If you guys are interested in learning more about this market, there's a few ways you can do that. You can join our Facebook group called Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth. Same as my group, same as my group, same as my book. Um, lots of investors in there sharing their knowledge. Really, really great community. You can also join one of our weekly live Q&A sessions. You can join those at strquestions.com to sign up. Or if you guys know you want to buy in this market and you're ready to go straight to John and Christina, you can email us at agents at the short-term shop.com to get connected. Thanks, everybody.